Hi, it's your pal Steamed Hams. Join me every week on the Unforgettable Luncheon as we discuss topics in the nerd world like gaming, comics, cartoons, and whatever else may cross my mind. You can find me on the socials as SteamedHams81 on Twitch, Twitter, and Instagram, and YouTube. You can also find me as the Unforgettable Luncheon on Facebook. And check out Steamed Hams Merchatorium, the link to which will be in the description of this podcast. The Unforgettable Luncheon, nerd comedy at its okayest. What, you thought I was done last week? There are so many games in the main series of Mortal Kombat, I had to split this into two parts. Plus, I'm going to go over the three, yes, three live-action films. The Peak 90s original, the Dumpster Fire sequel, and the good but unintentionally hilarious reboot. So get over here for round two of the history of Mortal Kombat so far, today on the Unforgettable Luncheon. It's your pal, Steamed Hams. I hope you're ready for another unforgettable luncheon. Actually, today's episode is pretty much a second helping, since it's part two of the history of Mortal Kombat so far. I'm going to confine this to the main series, since there were plenty of spin-offs and updated versions. Uh, but we are going to talk about the movies too, so let's get rockin' and rollin'. Where was I last week? Oh right, Mortal Kombat 4. Mortal Kombat 4 was released in 1997, the first in the series to use 3D graphics versus digitized sprites of live actors, and the last in the series to be released in arcades. While live actors were not filmed and digitized for this one, motion capture was still used in a limited capacity. The game also introduced a limited weapon system, which a character could whip out a weapon to use during the match, with like a kind of button combo, much like a special move. But unlike that cheating bastard Shao Kahn, the weapon could be dropped and picked up by your opponent, and now you're all in big, big trouble. Now, I didn't know of this game's existence when it came out, as I kind of stopped going to arcades for the most part during high school, mostly due to money. I found this game in about 2002-2003 while I was in the Navy at our single sailor lounge on base, which was a place where unmarried or geographic bachelors, which meant their families couldn't come with them, could hang out uh, and not feel like a weirdo and just be by themselves. They had a small amount of free play arcade games, and Mortal Kombat 4 was one of them. So I got good at that game and would fly through with one character, hit the second player, change characters, win, and go back to finish and see the ending for each character. Pretty cool, huh? You can even play as the bosses from the get-go, so you can see the endings for them as well. Now, about the game. Mortal Kombat 4 takes place sometime after Mortal Kombat 3, well, duh, with Earthrealm being saved from Shao Kahn's shenanigans. And, uh, well, the story goes thousands of years prior, Shinnok, one of the Elder Gods who ran things around in the Six Realms, uh, decides he wants it all and wants it now. He went for Rook Assault on it. Uh, but Raiden was like, Mm-mm, and whooped his ass all the way to the nether realm. In present day, the evil sorcerer Quan Chi 
uses his fancy-ass evil magic to evilly free Shinnok from the Netherrealm to exact his evil revenge on the Elder Gods. Did I mention that he's evil? I think I did. Just want to make sure. And he would have gotten away with it, too, if it weren't for those meddling Earthrealm fighters. Oh, and fun fact, Johnny Cage is back. He was resurrected by Raiden after Johnny asked very nicely in the afterlife so he could help defend Earthrealm once again. Of course, Raiden, needing all the help he could get, bibbidi-bobbidi-booed his ass back to life, presumably dressed like Dr. Frankenstein, and yelling, He's alive! Alive! And hopefully Johnny didn't freak out and require a set of give to calm down. Kids, ask your parents or possibly your grandparents about that reference. New characters, good and bad, join the roster. You have Fujin, the Wind God, and Raiden's ally. Jarek, the last member of Kano's criminal syndicate, Black Dragon. Now being hunted by Sonya and Jax. Reiko, an outworld assassin and one of Shinnok's generals. Kai, a Shaolin monk and buddy to Liu Kang. And Tanya, a traitor who helped Shinnok conquer Edenia on his way to get revenge. Of course, Shinnok loses and Earth is safe again. Or is it? Mortal Kombat Deadly Alliance, released in 2002 for consoles, continues the story. In Scorpion's canon ending... Quan Chi reveals he was the one who killed Scorpion's family, and as he's trying to send Scorpion back to the Nether Realm for good, he gets pulled into the portal by Scorpion. He escapes using an amulet he stole from Shinnok. Can these bad guys trust each other with their stuff? Nah. He ends up in the mass tomb of the undefeatable army of the long-forgotten outward ru- ruler, the Dragon King. Quan Chi makes a deadly alliance with Shang Tsung, offering him unlimited souls if he'll just transplant the uh, souls of dead warriors into the dead warriors. Sounds like a pretty reasonable thing. They manage to kill Shao Kahn and Liu Kang, their two biggest obstacles. Raiden gives up his godhood so that he can interfere. The game ends on a bit of a downer, where the bad guys won and the good guys lost. It was kind of like the series Empire Strikes Back. It was, the, it was their answer to it. The characters' fates would not be revealed until Mortal Kombat Deception, where it's revealed that they all died, and then Quan Chi and Shang Tsung uh, fight over the amulet to control the army. And they realize the Dragon King, Onaga, has also been resurrected. Oops. So they join forces with Raiden to battle him, all three dying in the process, and Onaga just going... Hmm. Brushes off dust. Meh. So, now fighters from other realms have to band together and fight Onaga and keep him from destroying the realms. I'll be honest, I I have not played this, uh, this Deadlier Alliance or Armageddon as they all came out while I was in the military and didn't have access to them. Hell, I didn't even know they existed because, you know, I didn't exactly get to get out very often and go buy video games in the Navy. So, there were 26 playable characters in Deception, and that list is a doozy. Deception also has the characters who were killed by Onaga resurrected as evil henchmen. But don't worry, they get better. Mortal Kombat Armageddon was released in 2006 for consoles. 
The story is a doozy, so I'm going to condense it down as best I can, so we're not here for 30 minutes just on this game alone. An Elder God, realizing that Armageddon will be caused by one final mortal combat, creates two suns and puts them in suspended animation to prepare for the battle in the future. The suns, Tavon and, Dr- and Dagon, awaken to start the battle after they learn that they are to fight the elemental Blaze and the winner between the two brothers will claim their father's spot as an Elder God. Of course, hijinks ensue, through a bunch of craziness, Shao Kahn defeats Blaze, becomes a god, and kills Raiden. Before he's killed, Raiden uses his amulet to send a message to his past self, thereby setting up Mortal Kombat 9. Oh, side note, we're not going into Mortal Kombat versus DC Universe because that's just a bunch of bullshit and shenanigans right there. I mean... I, I, I read up on it because I wasn't sure if it was canon, but it turns out it's technically mainline. But through some convoluted way, people who are really not powerful become powerful. Powerful people become not powerful. So that's why Johnny Cage can beat the shit out of Superman. I guess. And then they also had the heroes not have fatalities. The fuck's the point of a Mortal Kombat game without fatalities? the fuck? Mortal Kombat 9 was released in 2011 and was an alternate universe retelling of the first three games. During the first tournament, Raiden receives a cryptic message from his future self implying he must win. And through much insanity, many fighters are killed and resurrected as undead revenants for Shao Kahn. Of course, yes, they get better for the most part. It turns out that the message meant that Shao Kahn must win. So after battling Shao Kahn, Raiden surrenders and is given his powers back by the Elder Gods to defeat and kill Shao Kahn for violating the Mortal Kombat rules. So now that Shao Kahn's dead, he doesn't, you know, do Armageddon and this whole paradox thing, bootstrap paradox, you know, fun times. Go back in time. He's got to win. So you you let him win, kills him, so you never have to send a message back, so it never happens. And then he still causes everything and sends it back. Oh my god, okay. I'm oh, hey. I'm gonna put myself in the loop here. That's not good. Ah. But it also turns out that Quan Chi and Shinnok are working together. Who would have thunk? And their whole plan was heroes and Shao Kahn dying, which sets up the next two games. And honestly, they they get complicated. I'm not going to lie. They get a little silly. Um, We're not going to go too far into 10 and 11 because, look, you should have played it by now. Okay? And they're just convoluted and we'd be here for another, like, 30 minutes explaining them. Okay? Now let's get into the movies, which were simpler in plot. Um, And... At least the first movie came out during the original trilogy's release. Well, both of them did, actually. Uh, Mortal Kombat the movie was released in 1995. I was so happy to go see this in the theater. My dad took me to go see it, and I was all excited because I, I think I think it was R-rated, so he had to go with me because I was only, like, 14 at the time. But let's not lie. It's it's peak 90s action right there. It's... It, just seems like if you watch a good 90s action movie it hits all the buttons and it surprisingly does not stray too far from the game 
Uh, Shang Tsung is hosting the next Mortal Kombat tournament on his private island, having won nine in a row and looking to seal Earthrealm's fate with a tenth win, and Outworld can take over. All your favorites are here. Liu Kang, played by Robin Shu, seeking to avenge his brother's death at the hands of Shang Tsung. Sonya Blade, played by Brigitte Wilson, who you may remember from such films as Billy Madison, follows Kano onto Shang Tsung's boat. Kano, played by Trevor Goddard, is working with Shang Tsung with the promise of riches. Duh, he's a criminal. Johnny Cage, played by Lyndon Ashby, joins the tournament to prove he's not a fake. Which, I mean, he ends up proving he's not a fake. I mean, he's not, but you, you know Hollywood, they'll, they'll do that shit. And Scorpion, Sub-Zero, and Reptile all appear as Shang Tsung's henchmen. And who can forget Goro? He's here too! Johnny and Sonya are chosen by Raiden, bafflingly played by Christopher There Can Be Only One, Lambeer, to defend Earthrealm in Mortal Kombat. Now, the thing that cracks me up about all the castings of Raiden, in, at least in the first two, was that they cast, they, they managed, both of them managed to just cast, like, like possibly the wise guys ever. I mean, he's a Chinese thunder god. Get a Chinese guy to do it. I mean, they did that for the for the reboot. I mean, they couldn't do it in the com in the, the the movies. But why? I don't know. So the three advance up the rankings and are joined by Princess Katana, played by Talisa Soto, uh, the Emperor's uh, adopted daughter. You know, Shao Kahn. Sonya kills Kano during a match by snapping his neck with her thighs. I'm sure he died a happy man. Kind of, sort of. It was a weird thing, but whatever. Liu Kang kills Sub-Zero with a bucket of water. It's actually pretty cool how he did it. Um, and Johnny kills Scorpion by slicing him ha- in half in an underground burial thingy where his cool fire fatality ends up blowing him up. So, Fatality. Shang Tsung gets very angry, you know, because he's losing, and kidnaps Sonya after Johnny defeats Goro with a nut punch in a hilarious scene. Like, Johnny does the nut punch, punches Goro, and is like, damn, them nuts were hard. You know. And, of course, Liu Kang battles Shang Tsung because that's how it worked in the game, and defeats him with an awesome pit fatality from the game. You know, the one where you had to do the secret fatality move, knock the guy into the pit full of spikes, which was cool. The second one had, like, spinning blades, so it chopped you up real nice. Okay, so, they return to Liu Kang's Shaolin Temple with Katana to celebrate. They just defeated Shang Tsung in Outworld, and now they're safe for another generation. The movie ends right there. But I'll tell you what, this movie was fun for its time. Um... You know, of course, you get that you get that little cliffhanger at the end where Shao Kahn pops up and he's like, he's like, I'm, I'm gonna get you, you, you lost, I lost, but I'm coming to get you anyways. And they all ready themselves to fight, and then it goes credits. Okay, now I rewatched it recently, albeit with the Rift Tracks commentary for fun. Um, it holds up quite well for being '90s, bit '90s cheese. And if you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. It's very good. And if you can get the Rift Tracks for it, I highly recommend it. Mortal Kombat Annihilation, on the other hand, doesn't get a glowing review from me. 
The only glow this movie has is from the flames that this dumpster fire produces. I even had to make a short kind of comedy reel about it, where I proclaim that there is not enough alcohol in the world to withstand this movie. And it's very true. I got hammered watching this movie, and then I had to rewatch it sober just to remember things. And I'm like, but I want the booze. I need the booze. Released in 1997, around the same time Mortal Kombat 4, the movie picks up exactly where the first one ended, like literally a minute or two after it ended. And in that minute, Sonya, Johnny, and Raiden were all magically recast. Hell, Sonya went from wearing a burlap sack to a clean white tank top and cargo shorts. The only ones who came back for this go-around are Robin Shu and Talisa Soto. Shao Kahn shows up to claim Earthrealm in six days, violating the Mortal Kombat rules, because you got to wait at least two weeks. You know, you know, wait 30 minutes before you go claiming Earthrealm. You know, after eating. He deliberately resurrected his dead queen, Sindel, in Earthrealm so that he can merge the two and invade. Um, his entrance scene is hilarious and Sindel's entrance scene is probably the worst acted scene in the entire movie. And that's saying something. Khan kills Johnny Cage when uh, he attempts to save Sonya from being killed by Shao Kahn. Raiden battles Khan to a standstill before Khan retreats to Outworld. Turns out Khan's plan is being aided by Shinnok, an elder god who went rogue. The remaining warriors split up to try to stop Shao Kahn. Uh, Liu Kang and Katana head to find Nightwolf, who believe he holds uh, the key to defeating Shao Kahn. They're attacked by Smoke, a cyber ninja, and rescued by Sub-Zero's younger brother. Scorpion reappears and kidnaps Katana. Sonya heads to find Jax in a military base. He was having cybernetic muscle enhancers implanted onto his arms to help with the battle, which will explain the metal arms he has. Uh, they're accosted by Cyrax, another cyber ninja, the yellow one, um, and defeat him, of course, and all the little like warrior henchmen that come with him. Before the place blows up. Liu Kang finds Nightwolf and learns the secret of the animality. To unlock it, he must pass three tests. The first is a test of his self-esteem, focus, and courage. Seriously? And the second is temptation in the form of Jade, who shows up in a cave girl bikini to, you know, seduce him. And he's like, no, no. I love Katana, even though you are quite sexy. And she was like, he turned me down. I'm going to help him. The third test is never mentioned nor even shows up. So, win by default, best two out of three, I guess. You know, that's what happened. Raiden gives up his immortality to fight alongside the Earthrealm warriors freely. Uh, they travel to Outworld to save Katana and reunite her with Sindel, which is supposed to, of course, break her of Khan's control. Um, yeah, no. That doesn't actually happen when they reunite him. It was a trap. And, in fact, Jade was a double agent. Shocking. And for fucking up and not killing the bad guys, Khan feeds Jade to a CGI 90s gargoyle. And then Raiden, of course, reveals that he and Khan are brothers. Shinnok is their daddy. 
Man, they're playing fast and loose with the fucking material, aren't they? I mean, Shinnok was just played by like an old German guy. Seriously. Dead serious. Yeah. So, the group battles Khan and his remaining generals. Khan kills Raiden. Liu Kang uses his animality to become a dragon. You know, the thing he does in the game! In Mortal Kombat 2! And, uh, by injuring uh, Shao Kahn, he reveals that he's mortal and, uh, he lost his fancy powers because, well, he violated the rules of Mortal Kombat. Uh-oh, SpaghettiOs. Shinnok is about to murder Liu Kang for Shao Kahn when the Elder Gods show up and like, Oh no, you didn't! And then banishes dumbass to another realm after Liu Kang whoops Shao Kahn's ass. Raiden is revived, becomes an Elder God, everything is fixed, and they all live happily ever after. The end. There was no third Mortal Kombat film in the 90s, early 2000s, because this one did fucking terribly. In fact, I don't even think I watched it after, like, I saw it in the theater. I rented it when it came out on VHS, or DVD, I forget which. And then I didn't see it again until last week. That was not long enough between viewings. Now, 2021 brought us the Mortal Kombat reboot, which was actually both in theaters and on the HBO Max streaming service at the same time. I ended up watching it on HBO Max because my wife was still not comfortable going to theaters and she didn't want me to go alone. So she says, let's get HBO and watch this. We ended up keeping HBO for like a year because all the cool stuff we found on there. But I digress. Uh, the game, uh, or sorry, the movies, is uh, a lot closer to the game in both story and violence. I mean, they do have to take some creative liberties, like adding a new character like Cole Young as someone for the audience to kind of connect with and like experience the story as he is, learning everything for the first time. You get a lot of backstory on Sub-Zero and Scorpion, like how their feud came along, and you get some cool-ass fights out of the two of them. Plus, Sub-Zero's powers are, like, way better in this version than they were in the 95 version. So, you know, Cole is a young MMA fighter from Chicago, Australia, uh, who has the mark of Mortal Kombat on him, thinking, eh, it's a birthmark. You know, I've always had this thing. I don't know why, but, you know, basically, he's really the blood of... Uh, Scorpion's descendants, and he's to be the one that will lead the defense of Earthrealm against Outworld in Mortal Kombat. Um, it's basically a mark to choose the fighters for the next Mortal Kombat. If a fighter is killed before the fight, whoever kills them gains their mark, hence their invitation to Mortal Kombat. So they find, you know, obviously ways to get like the main characters all together to be the ones to fight and train and all that. Uh, Cole is attacked by Sub-Zero and rescued by Jax, who directs Cole to Gary, Indiana, to find Sonya Blade. I mean, that was my wife and I sitting there and we're like, of all the places to go look for somebody, not New York, not a mountain in the woods, not go to, you know, go to Orlando. It's go to Gary, Indiana to find a warrior that will help you save the world. Okay. I mean, you gotta be tough to live in Gary. That's, uh, you know... It'd be tough to live anywhere these days. It's rough. You know? So, of course, uh, he finds Sonya. Jax gets his arms destroyed while battling um, 
Sub-Zero, he basically gets them frozen, ripped off. And he gets these cool metal implants that become all muscly later on when he gets his powers. Um, Sonya captured Kano, and she's living in a little trailer by, you know, by Lake Michigan. And she's interrogating him for what he knows about Mortal Kombat. And, of course, they, along with Cole, battle Reptile when he shows up to murderfy all of them. And then they travel to Raiden's Temple, meet Raiden, Liu Kang, and Kung Lao, and begin training for the tournament. Uh, and what happened was Shang Tsung had been sending guys like Sub-Zero and Reptile to kill Earthrealm fighters because, well, frankly, Earthrealm's got no fighters. They forfeit. It's their 10th win. And Outworld gets the grand prize. Of course, he fails in killing everyone because the fuck kind of movie would we have if all the Mortal Kombat heroes were killed in the first fucking Mortal Kombat movie? Now, I'm not going to go too much into it because it is fairly recent and available on a few streaming services to watch, along with being readily available in home media. Um, so go check it out. You know, I'm not going to ruin the story for you. It is an excellent film. I enjoyed it. The actual tournament is set for the next movie, though, so don't get your hopes up that you're going to see Mortal Kombat in this. Um, and if it's half as good as this one, we're in for a treat. I mean, there is some silly shit in there, like having to go find a warrior in Gary, Indiana. You know, again, why Gary? They were in Chicago. They could have just said, go to the west side. Go to um, the east side. You know, go down to the Pilsen neighborhood. You'll find the warrior there. And he's just like sitting out and playing Sykes. Nobody's bothering him. Yeah. It's a solid film. And honestly, out of the three Mortal Kombat live action films that were released, the best. Now, why did I call this the history of Mortal Kombat so far? Because the story is still being written. Mortal Kombat's 10 and 11 were great. And with a new Mortal Kombat... Mortal Kombat 1 headed our way in just a few months. The lore can only be expanded and the story continues. I grew up with the Mortal Kombat series. It just celebrated its 30th anniversary, and I hope it goes for another 30 years. Hell, when my nieces get a little older, I want to say, kids, sit down. We're going to learn about gaming history. And then they're going to tell their moms, my sisters, and I'm going to get yelled at. No, I'm not. Trust me. They, they trust me with that for some reason. Well, that's it for another Unforgettable Luncheon. You can find me on all the social medias. Twitter, Twitch, Instagram, and what's my other one? YouTube. Yes. Twitch, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube at SteamedHams81. And you can find me on Facebook as The Unforgettable Luncheon. Don't be afraid to reach out and say hi. And if you do enjoy the podcast, spread the word. I really appreciate all those who do. And I'd like to I'd like to gain more, more people listening. You know, I want to spread my humor. You know, so go on. Tell people. Tell people I'm funny. Even if you got to lie to them. I mean, I know. I'm not the funniest guy in the world. It is nerd comedy at its okayest. So I'm not setting expectations high. Anyways, join me next week when the topic will be something nerdy.